0: But well, we serve a perfect God who can do a lot of great stuff in our lives. If you've got your Bible, tablet, or whatever you read your Bible on nowadays, um, open it up to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 13. The message notes for the uh, sermon today are available on the YouVersion through the Bible app. All the notes should be there for you to follow along in the message today, just in case you had a crazy morning and you didn't bring anything to write on, and you didn't bring a Bible or anything like that, you can hop on your phone, pull that up, and follow along with us today. <coughs> you ever had somebody, like in school or in life, that was just a constant frustration to you? There's that one person that you can have a great day, and you can just count on them every day. When you go around that corner, they're going to be there to poo-poo on your parade somehow, yeah. you know? Um, that you, Just people, bullies in school, or just people you don't really mesh with or click well with at work, you know. Um, constant sources of frustration. Uh, we're going to read a little bit um, in the Old Testament today about what was a source of frustration to the people of Israel, and they were called the Philistines. The Philistines were always causing trouble for Israel back in the day. Um, and Israel was at a point where they had just, uh, I don't know, elected or chosen a king, and his name was Saul. And so Israel was kind of trying to take their own identity and form their own nation and their own kingdom. But they were constantly being oppressed by these people called the Philistines. And they found themselves in a really weird situation. In 1 Samuel 13, uh, starting at verse 19, it says, "...not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel." Which stinks if you were a blacksmith, that means you were out of work, if you were an Israelite. Because the Philistines just said, Otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plows their plow points, their mattocks, axes and sickles sharpened. The price was two thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. Because everybody knows if you got a goad, you need to have it repointed, right? You got your goads at the house, you need to have them reported. So, so on the day of battle, this is one of the most perplexing sentences to me in all of Scripture. Like there's some, there's some whoppers that get dropped, but this one makes no sense at all to me. So on the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. That just brings up so many questions to me. I mean, I don't know. Like, if you just common sense your way through this. How are you going to have an army without weapons to fight with? You think about that? I mean, just practically. I like to look at the Bible and read it and just, you know, look at it with a practical eye. we got an army on the day of battle. Well, we ain't got no swords. we got two swords. Everybody else, best of luck to you. Hope it works out well. Um, two swords. How do you even recruit an army without weapons? I mean, you think about that. You draft your people, but I mean, how, what, what's the point? How do you get people? What's the incentive? All right, here's the deal. We're, we're going to ar- form an army, and we're going we're to you know, get our own identity, and we're going to start pushing back against these people, the Philistines. That sounds awesome. Let's sign up. And you're there, and you're signing up, and you're like, okay, got your uniform, and you got your, your other stuff. And, all right, man, where do we go to get our swords? Yeah, yeah, um, that's the thing. Yeah, know, we, we ain't got no swords. No swords. We got what? We don't got no swords. What's the selling point? You know, like, how am I going to defend myself? How are we going to do this? Like, what do you say? Come join the army of Israel we ain't got no swords, but our uniforms are fabulous. Like, how, like, what do you do to pull people in is what I'm wondering. So they show up on the day of battle, and they don't have swords, which sometimes it's, you know, I, I kind of want to make fun of because somebody didn't think through the process, you know. Uh, somebody didn't figure out that they might have issues. So I guess maybe they're showing up with their pitchforks and their goads that had their fresh points on them and all that stuff. I don't know what they were showing up to fight with, but they didn't have any swords. And I want to make fun of them sometimes. But then I thought, and I think, you know, there are a lot of Christians and a lot of churches around here that show up on the day of battle unequipped with the weapons that they need to fight what they're looking at. You know, and it just reminds me that the day of battle, the day of battle is not the time to prepare for battle. You prepare for battle before the battle, you know? And when we face these battles spiritually, you know, like so many of us are going through right now, and so many people, they never pray unless they're going through hell in their lives. That's when they pray. They never open up their Bible until their life is falling apart. Then they desperately try to grab answers and find solutions to what they're dealing with. It's really hard. It's really hard to fight a battle without a sword. It's really hard to have a victory when you go into something unprepared. The time to do that is before you walk into the battle. That's why it's important to have a solid relationship with God so when the storms of life hit, you're prepared and you're equipped with everything that you need to push back the onslaught of the enemy. Amen? Amen? So don't get caught on the day of battle without a sword like these guys did. That just blows my mind. Um, But that's not what we're talking about today. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 14, this story continues, uh, starting at verse 1. It says, One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Saul was standing on the outskirts outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migran, With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. Now, that's important. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. He was the son of Ichabod's brother. These are just great names, by the way. If you want to write some of these names down to call your kids, if you're planning on having kids, Old Testament is full of some great names. Um, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest, and Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan... Had left. So Jonathan takes off on a walk to stir up some trouble. Jonathan in first uh, Samuel 14, we're going to skip down to verse six. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And this armor-bearer says this, Do all you have in mind. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. There's a lot of stuff happening in these little blocks of Scripture here. The the armor-bearer, to me, is a man. Not only because he's like incredibly loyal to Jonathan, but there's only two stinking swords in the whole army. The armor-bearer doesn't have one of them. He's like, okay, you want to go pick a fight? That's cool. I'm unarmed. Sounds like a great plan. Let's go see what happens. You know, he's like the crazy guy that you hoped that you didn't have in high school. That you were just like, yeah, let's let's go do X, Y, and Z. It's crazy. We're probably going to die or go to jail. That's awesome. Let's go do it. You know, Um, the friend that just would not speak what would be considered common sense to you. uh, He's crazy. He's like, yeah, let's go do it. It sounds good. Without a sword. Jonathan says this word perhaps. Perhaps we'll do it. Perhaps has a couple of different meanings. It's used to express uncertainty or possibility. Uncertainty or possibility. Perhaps God'll deliver us if we go do this. So Jonathan's like, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it's possible. Let's go see what happens. Let's go ruffle some feathers. And you start to see two different schools of thought developing here. I want to go back to 1 Samuel 14, verses 1 through 3, and I want to show you something. Because you've got two different things happening here in the same camp, the same army. Um, if you skip down to where we have, uh, with him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. That's big. That's big. Because the only times you would see um, someone, uh, a, a priest, um, wearing an ephod, would be because one of a couple of things was happening. One, they would wear them when they were praying or leading prayer. Or two, they would wear them when they were, if they were worshiping God or leading people in worship of God. Okay? So basically what's happening here, from what we can read, is that Saul and his men are together under a pomegranate tree having church. They're praying, and they're worshiping, and they're getting their things together, and they're, they're having a good uh, Holy Ghost time under the pomegranate tree, which had, which had to be fun. Then you got Jonathan who says, Yeah, that's cool. I'm tired of waiting around. I want to do something. They're praying, and Jonathan is saying... I'm done with praying. I want to see some results. I'm ready to take some action. I'm ready to see God make something happen. Two completely different schools of thought. And Jonathan's like, hey, you know what? We don't have a guarantee. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. But I do know that we have a few things working for us. I want to go back to 1 Samuel 14 verses 6 through 7 if you look at what Jonathan says here he says come let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men now I'd like to think that Jonathan just wasn't infatuated with whether or not men were circumcised or not I don't think that it was a conversation that he had if he came over to his tent hey man how you doing I'm Jonathan nice to meet you hey circumcised you know, sit down over dinner or coffee and talk about circumcision. That was just the deal back then. Pretty sure that it was as uncomfortable then as it is today because I see all the men starting to look down at the ground and looking around and the women are kind of chuckling and the guys are going, mm-mm, mm mm uh uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. But when Jonathan mentions that the Philistines were uncircumcised, he's speaking to the fact That their enemies are not in covenant with God. Because circumcision for the Israelites was a sign of the covenant that they had with God. Okay? So what Jonathan is saying is you dig into this and put the pieces together. He's saying, look, I'm tired of sitting around praying. I'm ready to make something happen. And I believe that God can make something happen because he says... He can deliver whether by many or by few. God can do it. We're in covenant with God. They aren't. We have the promise of God. They don't. We have the provision of God, they don't. We have the protection of God, we have the equipping of God, we've got God walking with us in covenant, which was more than a promise, it was more than a contract, it was a spiritual commitment that God made to the people of Israel where he literally said, I would rather cease to exist than fail to keep my word to you, my people. This is what Jonathan is speaking to. So Jonathan says, we've got all of that to stand on. Why don't we just go ahead and stop having the little prayer stuff and the church stuff and step out and what we already know God has said he was going to do and see that he'll keep his word. Ooh, Jonathan's a bad boy. (laughs) He's a bad boy. Maybe while that armor bearer was like, okay, that sounds good. I ain't got a sword, but let's roll. Let's see what happens, man. So the only way... This was gonna work is that they got into that battle, people started dropping, and the armor bearer could pick up swords to fight with as they go. And you know what happened? That's exactly what happened. They got there, they picked the fight, God gave them the victory. The Bible says that Jonathan killed them as they moved forward, and the armor bearer took them out as they were the ones that were behind them, and they cleaned house and brought about a great victory, caused a great commotion that led to a greater victory for the people of Israel, because he decided to do something, instead of being stuck back, praying under a pomegranate tree. Now listen to me, I'm all for praying, I'm all for prayer, I'm not dissing prayer, and I don't want you to misinterpret that, you know, because sometimes people, when I say stuff, I say something, but people hear something different, or they don't, understand the motive with which I'm saying things, and if that ever happens, you can always send your questions or comments to Pastor Jeremy at churchlifepoint.com, and Jeremy will be quick, and if he doesn't respond, you can send to Pastor Brad at churchlifepoint.com, and we'll we'll make sure that, that those guys get back to you, but I want to make sure that we're clear because I believe in prayer. Prayer is essential to the Christian life. Prayer is what makes our relationship with Jesus happen. It's how we talk to Him. It's how He pours into us. Mountains are moved because of prayer. God moves in response to prayer. Jesus said that He wanted us to make our requests known to Him and that He hears us when we pray. Prayer is important to the Christian life. But we have to have some kind of substance to our walk with God that's more than prayer or more than worship. We have to have something called action to our faith. We've have got to have a, we gotta come to a point where we begin to step out in the promise and in the equipping and what God has already said that he would do for us and move forward in what God has already said he was going to do instead of being comfortable with gathering together and settling for the prayer and the worship and going through the ritual without the swords. Maybe we need to be a little more like Jonathan. Maybe we need to be a little crazy. Maybe we need to step out in what we believe God has already spoken to us and trust Him to keep His word. You know, uh, James chapter 2, verse 26. It reads like this. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It means that our faith at some point, becomes worthless if we don't put action behind what we say we believe. And church has become nothing more than a glorified country club where people come together to sing their little songs and go through their little ritual, and nothing is accomplished. No one is impacted. No lives are changed. Communities are left untouched. And I don't believe that that's God's will for His church. And I don't believe that that's God's plan for our lives. I believe he's called us to impact the lives of other people and to put action to our faith. Yeah. To put action to our faith. It's like the farmer who was going to plant this great big field of crops and he's, he just was on it, man. He, he had a good prayer time and he decided, you know what, I'm gonna believe that this year I'm going to see five times as much crop come in than I've seen in any year before at my farm. Five times, I'm believing for five times more. And so he started praying, God, I know you're the guy that can provide. I'm believing for an increase. I'm believing that you can keep, your. I believe that you're going to allow me to have five times as many crops as I've ever seen before at my farm. Springtime came, it was time to plow the field. And the guy walked out to the field, stood At the edge of the field, lifted up his hands and began to pray, God, I thank you for my field. Lord, I thank you for the seed. Lord, I thank you that I I just believe that this year we're going to see five times as much come in than we have any year before. And he turned around and went back inside. (laughs) A couple of months went by. He walked back out to the field, still believing, still believing, still full of faith, and said, all right, God. I can see that the rows are not plowed. I can see that the seed's not in the ground. And I can see the rocks are still there and the weeds are starting to come up. But I believe that you're the God that can turn back the weeds. I believe that you're the God that can do the impossible. I believe that you can bring an increase. And I'm believing you for five times as much as I've ever seen come in from any of my fields. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of months went by. Farmer walked out to the field, nothing was plowed, nothing was planted, the weeds were about as tall as he was, briars, thistles, all kind of stuff growing up in there. Lord, I know what I'm seeing, and I know that faith is the evidence of things unseen, the substance of things hoped for, and I know that you're the God that can bring forth an increase. And I know I'm seeing the weeds. I know I'm seeing the briars. I know I'm seeing what looks like something impossible. But I'm trusting you to bring in the harvest. And then he walked back in, having done nothing. When harvest time came, guess how many crops that farmer had? Goose egg. Yeah. Goose egg. Nothing. Nothing. You know why? Because it was his job to prepare the ground. It was his job to remove the rocks. It was his job to plant the seeds. It was his job to fertilize. It was his job to maintain the garden and to keep it free of weeds. It was his job to protect the heart, It was his job to do the preparation. It was God's job to create the miracle of life and the harvest. But faith without works is dead. And it doesn't matter how much we pray. We could all pray till we're red in the face. It doesn't matter how much we believe. It doesn't doesn't matter how much we worship God. At the end of the day, if we don't put some walking to the talking, we're not going to accomplish anything. And we're not going to see the harvest or the blessing in our lives that God wants to give because there's a part that we do, and there's a part that only He can do. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. If there's no work, there's no harvest. If there's no work, there's no harvest. In any arena of our spiritual walk, if there's no action to our faith, there is no life or substance to our faith. It's just a routine. It's just a ritual. Sooner or later, we have to say, you know what? We prayed enough. We've worshiped enough. We spent some time under the tree. Now it's time to say perhaps and step out and trust God to do what he's already promised he would do in and through us. Amen? You get those times. There's no work, there's no harvest. And we believe at this church that God has spoken to us and told us that he is going to bring a harvest of souls into this church. We believe that. Now, you might not have a churchy background and you might not even know what I just said. I might as well have been speaking Portuguese to you. Um, What that means is we believe that God has promised us that this church is going to impact our community and to impact the lives around here. That this church is going to be used to help people in our community that are going through tough stuff. That this church is going to be used by God to see families healed and restored. To see people come to know that Jesus has so, so changed our lives in here. We, we believe that God is going to give us Oh, We believe he's spoken that to us. But if there's no work, there's no harvest. There's no work. There's no harvest. And it doesn't matter how much we shout or how much we say we believe it. If we don't plow the fields and we don't plant the seeds and we don't do what's necessary, we're not going to see it. And 20 years from now, we'll be saying the same thing, seeing the same results of nothing because God has already done everything He needs to do. Now He's waiting for us to step up and do what He's already said we could do. So... What we need to realize is this. Us here at this church, churches across the country, churches across the world, if I could look every one of them in the eye and just say one thing before I die, I would look them all in the eye and I would say this. We need to stop waiting on a move of God and realize that we are the move of God. We are the move of God. We are The move of God. The ball's in our court. Jesus, when he died, did everything that was necessary for us to operate in all the freedom, to receive all the power, all the anointing, all the authority to do what was necessary in this world. He's already done it. We're not waiting on a move of God. We are the move of God, church. We are the move of God. We walk with healing. We walk with restoration. We speak on the authority and the power of Jesus. When we we enter a room, demons should scream and run out because of the presence of God that we walk with. We are the move of God. We are the move of God. We don't have to wait around for one more thing. We just need to say perhaps and step out and trust God to do what he said he would do, and be what he already said he would be, and work what he already said he would work, and accomplish what he already said he would do. That's the difference. That's the difference between what a real Christian is supposed to look like, and what somebody who's content with going through a ritual under some tree somewhere for the rest of their life looks like. Now, I don't know about you. I love praying. I love worshiping. But I want to see God Do something with my life. I want to see God do something with this church. I want to see life restored. I want to see hope restored. I want to see people cross over from death spiritually to life spiritually. I want to see a revival start and sweep across this nation, not because people prayed until they passed out, but because people said, enough, we've already got what we need. Let's move forward and trust God to do what He already said He would do. That's what I want to see. That's what I want for this church. Um, Matthew 28, we're going to read this in a different light. And I want to show you what I'm talking about here. (coughs) Excuse me. Boy, I'm not 100% over this little junk that I had last week, but I'm pretty close to it. Healing over myself, healing over you guys in Jesus' name. Matthew 28, 18, it reads like this. Um, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Everybody do this. Go. We're going to hit the brakes for a second. That was was us hitting the brakes. So, (laughs) Some of y'all have some weird tires. That was pretty high squealing right there. Uh, We're going to hit the brakes here. Because there is a word in this passage of Scripture that if you are a studier of Scripture, you'll know means you put on the brakes and you stop and you go back. There's a word there, and it's therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore in a passage of Scripture, you stop and you go back to see what it's referring to. I had a pretty hokey Bible teacher one time who came in to teach us, and he says, anytime you see the word therefore... You stop to see what it's there for. (laughs) Okay, thanks. So so you put on the brakes because it's speaking. Anything that comes next, the go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and all that stuff, all of that hangs on what comes before the therefore. Jesus came to them and said, This is after Jesus had been crucified. This is after Jesus had died. This is after Jesus had been risen from the dead, okay? The Bible says that when Jesus was risen from the dead, he came back with the keys to what? Death, hell, and the grave. Keys are symbolic of what in Scripture? Authority. He came back with the keys, the authority, over death, hell, and the grave. So Jesus, after having accomplished that, stands in front of his disciples, and he says... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, authority here in the Greek, I'm about, listen, I'm, I'm sorry if we're getting too classroomy here for you guys, but this is important. You need to know this, okay? Even if you don't remember the names of the words, remember what these words mean. The Greek word here is egusia. Egusia means this. It means authorized use of power. Authorized use of power. Jesus is saying, I have been authorized to use power. I have all the authority, all the authorization. Listen now, not just for me personally to use the power, but I am authorized to disperse that authority and power at my discretion. That's what he's saying here. Jesus is saying, I'm the man, I'm the boss, and I can decide to disperse my authority and my power to whomever at whatever time I choose to do it. Therefore, because of that, go on my authority, on my power, and make disciples of all nations. Go. Go. Don't sit under some tree praying all the time. Go. Action, get up and make it happen. Now, I'll show you something different in Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> um, verse 8. You see another reference to this, and it's just, once, once, you, once you see this in this light, it's, it's so powerful. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But you will receive power Power. Now, who has the authority, <clears throat> who is authorized to distribute power and authority to whomever, whenever he wants? Jesus. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, this word power here is a Greek word called dynamos. Dinos, I think that's what it is. Dynos, dynamos. Anyway, it's a, the root word from which we get uh, the word dynamite. And here's what's really important here, is that this word means explosive power. It means supernatural power. It means miraculous power. Jesus is saying, <coughs> through the Holy Spirit, He is equipping us with explosive, supernatural Miracle-working power at his discretion because he's authorized to give it to whoever, whatever, whenever, however. He's the one that does it. He's giving it to us. He's equipping us with what we need to be witnesses for him. Guys, he has given us everything we need already to do what he's called us to do. We don't have to wait for one more thing. He's authorized, and he has authorized us and equipped us. In Jerusalem, can you put that scripture back up on the screen? Acts eight In Jerusalem, which is where the church was at the time, okay? And in Judea and Samaria. They were a little further out from Jerusalem. And then to the ends of the earth. Jesus was saying, I am equipping you with the power that you need to be my witnesses. And then he gave a progression, a flow. Where you are right now, where you will be then... And where you are, to the ends of the earth. He said, I don't intend for you to stay where you are right now. I intend for this thing to spread as you go out, as a movement, as you go, as you're my witnesses, as you're making disciples, as you're reaching the world and doing what I've commanded you to do because I've given you everything that you need to do it. The Bible says that we have everything that we need for what? Life and godliness. The Bible says that we're more than conquerors. Through Christ Jesus. Amen? The Bible says that through Jesus, we're free from sin. That means sin doesn't even have control and authority over us if we are a Christian, if we have received the forgiveness of Jesus and that freedom from sin. The Bible says that we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Man, we could go on and on. We don't even need to start. We can talk about the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, all of the, the spiritual equipping that has been given to us <coughs> through what Jesus has done. We have everything that we need, guys. We gotta go. We gotta go. Because if we don't do the work, there is no harvest. There is no harvest. There is no harvest. So what we have to ask ourselves is what kind of person do we want to be? Pomegranate crew? Or perhaps or perhaps if we step out we'll see God do what he said he would do. (coughs) The need is great. I want to give you some stats. We've talked about this from time to time this year or this past year. These are numbers that are going to stay in front of us because they matter. They matter. Um, this year, approximately 1 million teenager or teenage girls will become pregnant. 350,000 of them will choose to have an abortion by the numbers. Now, abortion has become an incredibly hot topic in our country again. The laws that were passed in New York are heinous and disgusting. They're disgusting. Abortion by itself is a disgusting process anyway. Uh, it's also incredibly risky medically too uh, because they're taking, now you don't even have to be a doctor to do much of this. You can be a physician's assistant and do surgical abortions now. A PA can do it. Uh, an RN... And check this out, a midwife now can legally do non-surgical and chemical abortions in the state of New York. That's kind of scary. You know how many doors that opens up? You know how risky that is medically? That's just insane to me, you know. Um, I believe, I believe very soon you're going to see this issue hit the Supreme Court floor. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of these states scrambling to adopt laws to protect themselves in in case that happens. But I'll tell you this. This is not a legal problem. This is not even a moral issue in our country. This is a spiritual issue in our country. And the victory over something like this Oh, we can pass a law, that's great, but you're going to see the victory in this happen when the people of God reach the people of this nation, and we see the heart of this nation turn back to Jesus, because there is no way you can have a heart to serve Jesus and agree with murdering an unborn child. You just can't. We're going to see change on issues like this and other issues in our country. It has to happen spiritually. It has to happen spiritually. That's on us to make a difference. It's on us to make a difference in students, in through ninth through twelfth grade. There are three thousand four hundred and seventy suicide attempts each day in the U.S. Each day. If that's not the sign of a generation desperately crying out for help, I don't know what is. We've got to reach our next generation, guys. We've got to reach them. In the state of Georgia, there's approximately 5.8 million unchurched people. Just in our state. If we got busy and just reached the people that are unchurched in our state, We can't accomplish it in this generation of the church. Maybe God could do something powerful. He may prove me wrong. But this is talking about a multiple generational effort to reach just our state. Forget our country. Forget the world. Just our state, guys. 240,000 approximately unchurched people in Paulding, Carroll, and Douglas counties. By the numbers approximately, these aren't exact numbers, but approximately on averages. 83,000 unchurched people in Douglas County, approximately. And you know why most of these people don't go to church? Because they've been to one. They don't go because they've been to one. And you know what they saw? They saw a bunch of people gathered together under a pomegranate tree instead of a group of people that said perhaps and put some action to their faith and walked out what they said they would believe. They saw they were judged, they were made fun of, they were ostracized because of the issues that they were trying to work through because they came into a group of people They said, you have to fit into our cookie-cutter standard of what a church-going Christian is supposed to look like. And they said, forget that. I don't want anything to do with it. Guys, we cannot be that church. We have to be a church that unchurched people want to attend. We have to be a church that's open the doors. People ask me all the time, "Um, what, what what kind of people we're trying to reach as a church? And my answer is just easy, all of them. All of them. Now, how are we going to do it? One of the biggest ways we're going to do it is through weekly services here at the church. Weekly services. People ask me, they come up to me and say, man, I really want to invite so-and-so or such-and-such to church, but, but I'm concerned about X, Y, or Z issue, you know, can I, can I bring somebody to church who's struggling with their sexual identity and, and, or maybe they've got a, a transgender child, can I bring them into the church without them getting picked on or mocked or, feel, or to feel like they don't fit in? And I'll say that in this church, as long as I'm the pastor in this church, absolutely you can come in here. Absolutely you can come in here. Absolutely, you can walk in and be loved and be accepted and have the same opportunity to receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus and have Him change your life like He did with everyone else this year. Absolutely. Can we bring people in with alcohol on their breath? Absolutely. Can I bring in my drug addicted cousin? Absolutely. Bring them in. (coughs) Well, I bring them in, but they dress kind of weird look around for a second. Look around for a second. You know what I mean? Listen, what's the dress code of the church? As long as you're not naked, you're good. You're good. All right? Dear Lord Jesus, please let us never have a problem with the dress code (laughs) of the church. No naked. We're good. All right? Not negative. Long as you you got the parts covered that need to be covered, and it's modest. Come on in. Not the issue with that. And if somebody comes in that dresses a little loose, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Let God move in their lives. Right. Amen. Yeah. Keep your mouth shut. Well, my, I got so and so. They like to smoke. Bring them on. Bring them on. Well, they might smoke in the parking lot. I don't care. I'll go out there and sit on the back of the car and talk to them while they smoke. I don't care. Get them in here and let God work in their lives. We've got to get over our own prejudices and our own preferences and let God do what God does best in the lives of people, and that's change them from the inside out. Weekly services are a great, a great way to do that. I don't want you to ever feel like you can't invite someone to this church. Everybody is welcome in this church. Now, I'm not saying we're perfect. We're not perfect. There's some jacked up people in here. I know y'all. You ain't fooling nobody. (coughs) You ain't fooling nobody. But I do know this, too. We have some beautiful people that have a beautiful heart to see God impact this community and impact this world. And I believe that if we'll invite and bring people in, we'll see him rock their worlds in our services. Um, There's some other ways that we plan on doing it this year too. Because look, talk is one thing, but this year, this church is going to be more aggressive than it's ever been in reaching this community for Jesus. Amen? Amen? More aggressive than we've ever been. Real quickly, here's some other ways we're going to do it. Through outreaches. We're going to be crazy about outreaches this year. Through things like the Ultimate Block Party that we do, Uh, annually with the city, uh, the big book bag outreach that we've done in the past. We want to see that bigger and better this year so that we can reach this community in a practical way. We didn't get to do this last year, but I would love to do it this year. We just didn't have the funds to make it happen in the fall of last year. I believe this year we'll have the funds available to make this happen, but I want to see a big fall festival at the end of the year so that we can create an event that the community can come be a part of so that we can show them the love of Jesus while they're on our campus sounds pretty good doesn't it i want to see that happen um i want to see us reach people through target services what's the target service the target service is a service where people are more likely to attend church if you invite them like christmas easter mother's day mamas whoo man i don't know what it is about mother's day mamas can get their families to church Uh, It's Mother's Day, you're coming to church with Mama, you're going to dress nice, we're going to take pictures, and you're going to take me out to eat afterwards because that's what Mama wants. You know what I'm talking about? (coughs) Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a big one. Father's Day is another one. We're gonna, Family Sunday is a great opportunity for us to connect with people that we know that have children because on Family Sunday, we all come together in one big service, and we have the kids involved in what's happening, and it's a family-oriented service. You don't have to worry about what's going to come out of Pastor Josh's mouth because he knows there's going to be kids in the place, and it's all going to be rated G, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, we're going to reach people through love all, serve all. Love all, serve all. That's a philosophy that we have here at our church. We want to reach people through practical means to show the love of God in their lives like we did last year. We have the family that didn't have hot water in their home. We went in and we installed a water heater and the plumbing and the electrical and all that was needed so that they could have that. Whether they come to church here or not is not the issue. The issue is that we were able to show the love of God to someone in a practical way because that's what Jesus did. He loved people, he met a need, and then God transformed their lives. And I believe that if we love people and we meet needs and we follow that model, we'll see God transform lives. And I know that we won't be able to do it for the entire community, but we can do it for somebody. And we'll do for one what we wish we could do for all until eventually we're able to do for all what we want to do for all. Amen. There's a lot of awesome ways that we're going to see this stuff happen. We're going to partner with other ministries that are happening around here. We partner with the Pregnancy Resource Center or the PRC. We believe in what they're doing. We believe in what they're doing here at this church. They help moms in a time where they're trying to decide whether or not they want the child, they help steer them towards preserving the life of the child. They provide some free health care options for the, for the moms, too, and free screening. They do great work. They see hundreds of people give their lives to the Lord every year, and they see hundreds of babies saved. Just the one over here in, Douglas, in Douglasville that we work with, I, I love that we've got women in the church that serve. At the PRC here in Douglasville, and they serve at the PRC in Carrollton. We're, we're able to see God do a lot of great stuff, but we're going to work with them. We're going to work with a great ministry called The Pantry. The Pantry feeds hundreds of families every week in Douglasville and the surrounding areas that might not be able to afford food for their family because they're going through a tough time. Last uh, Thanksgiving, we worked with them, and we were able to help them provide 400 Thanksgiving meals for people in our area. That's what I want to see happen. We're going to work with them a little more closely in, in other uh, organizations. Missions, and that's another way we're going to do it this year. Home missions and what happens around here. And you know what? It's time for us to put some boots on the ground at a different country and see a missions team go out of Life Point Church. Yeah. You know what I mean? How many of y'all would be interested in going on a missions trip if we put one together? Yeah, I know not everybody's called to do something like that, but I I saw a lot of hands go up. We have a lot of options that we're looking at for this year. There'll be more information about that coming out in the next couple of weeks um, so you guys can start raising money like crazy for your mission trips that'll be coming up. Here's something huge. We talked about this in a leadership meeting last fall. We want to see every ministry in this church, every department in this church do some kind of outreach on their own. So we're not just going to see big church events. We're going to see all the departments reaching out to the community in their own way. This is going to be an incredibly aggressive year. You know why? Because perhaps. That's why. Because perhaps. Perhaps. Because we're already equipped to do it. We're already called to do it. All we got to do is just do it. Amen. Ephesians 3. Verse 20 says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. This is what I believe. I believe that as we step out and do what God has already equipped us and called us to do, that he is going to blow us away with what we're going to see him do through our efforts as we put action to our faith this year. I believe we're going to see exceedingly, abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine. Why? Because it's according to His power. There's that word again. His power that is at work within us. His power that He's authorized. His power that He's distributed. His power that equips us. Working in us, we're going to be able to see some amazing things this year. Now there's a card either that was in your seat or is in the little pocket in the seat in front of you. I want everyone to take a second and grab this as we close today. And it just says this, perhaps. And there's two statements on this card. And you should have a pen in the seat in front of you if you need one I want us to take a moment because talking about what we're going to do corporately is one thing but corporate action doesn't happen without individual action I'm not asking you to make pledges or commitments or anything like that this is just something for you to work out between you and God just perhaps the next step in my walk with God is what is it this year? What is the next step that you feel like you need to take to get closer to God? Because faith without works is dead, yeah. But you can't minister or serve or do and give something that you don't have to give. That's got to come from your relationship with Jesus. It all starts there. So the next step in my walk with God is, is what? Is it to read the Bible more consistently is it to be more consistent in church attendance is it to be more consistent in in attending uh, children's ministry urgent to be this could be the year that you step up to volunteer and serve in the ministry that God's been laying on your heart what is it it's between you and God what's the next step in your walk with God. Take a second and fill that out. Perhaps the next step in my walk with God is perhaps I can reach these people for Jesus. Do you have anyone in your family or your circle of friends? You know, you know They don't have a relationship with Jesus. You know they need Jesus to be their Savior. You know they need to surrender their lives to God. Write them down. Write them down. Because here's what I believe. I believe that God has already equipped you and empowered you and given you everything that you need to reach those people this year. And maybe you've been trying four years to try to reach them. And they've shot you down every time. Don't give up. Aren't you glad no one gave up on you? Aren't you glad that person invited you that one last time? Aren't you glad that that sermon convicted you that one last time? Aren't you glad that you got that one last time? Don't give up on somebody because you could be there one last time. Perhaps. Perhaps. Let's all stand. I want you to take those cards with you. I want you to keep them. Because God is moving this church into a season of doing and a season of doing. See, I, I just feel them. This is the year that we take. like this is a marching order from God to move forward. Perhaps we'll see a huge harvest if we step out and do what he's already equipped us and called us to do. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. And on these cards we've written what we think our next step in our walk with you is. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that as we step out into this, Lord, that you honor the work that we're putting with our faith. Because we're saying we're not content with staying where we are. We want more, more depth in our walk with you. We want to know you better. We want to do what you have called us to do. And for so many of us here today, it is going to be us stepping into that calling because we've been content for years in sitting under a tree receiving ministry praying letting you pour into us and that's great but you pour into us so that we can pour into others and for so many of us today that next step is going to be becoming involved in the ministry that you've called us to and serving in the way that you've called us to serve lord we have so many people that we could reach for you and talking about a harvest and talking about what a church can do and talking about outreaches and all those things, those are great. And the, the results of those things are going to, be, they're going to be powerful and they're going to be awesome because we know that your word is going to bring about the change in the people's hearts, Father. But we cannot neglect our own responsibility to go and make disciples, to go and be a witness because you have equipped us already to do it. And if we will become those rare people that trust You to do what You said You would do, to step out and be obedient, if we would be those people, oh, we can see You impact and change so many lives, Father. Lord, I pray that You birth in us today a burden for the lost like we've never had before as a church. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that I, I pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that you give us what to say and how to say it as we talk to these people, as we pray for these people, as, as we look for opportunities to share your love with them, Lord. Because I know there's so many names on so many cards in here this morning, and every one of those names matter because they represent the eternity of a soul. God, I pray that you remind us of how important what we do is. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that this year be a year. Where this church takes new ground. Where we take new ground individually in our walk with you. And where we see a harvest of changed lives. And impacted lives, Lord. That we see marriages healed and restored. That we see families made whole. Lord, that we see individuals healed emotionally. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we see the miraculous this year. That the dead rise from the grave, Lord, spiritually and physically. Lord, that we see everything that you said that we could see as we go forth trusting that you would do everything that you said that you would do Father we give you glory and we give you praise for your presence today for the challenge of your word Lord I thank you for the decisions that were made by the people today to step out and say perhaps perhaps we can see God do something powerful if we step out trust him to do what he already said that he would do and be who you already said that you would be Lord we give you glory and we give you praise in Jesus name